0: Well, good morning. Let's uh, come before the Lord in prayer as we ask Him to give His wisdom to us as we again open His Word this morning. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we ask that as we open Your Word, that it will be Your Spirit speaking to us, that the words in these pages will be made alive in our souls, and as a result, our lives will be changed. Lord, save us from just hearing these words and having them go out of our minds, With no effect on our lives. Do your work we pray as we come to your word. And may you bless us as we stand in obedience before you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well we're back in the book of Luke again after a long absence over the holiday period. And we're back in chapter 6 verses 12 to 16 today. Where Jesus appoints the 12 apostles. Just for a bit of background, we remember previously in the book of Luke that amazing miracles had been performed by Jesus Christ. People had been healed. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders had been confronted by Jesus about their form of worship. That is, through Judaism, where the form of the worship was more important than the heart in the worship. And so, as a result, Jesus had started making enemies among these Pharisees and religious leaders. And his enemies were increasing both in number and in the intensity of the opposition against him. The idea of doing away with Jesus had even been floated a few times and you can look that up in Mark chapter 3 verse 6. And so Jesus now surrounds himself with men who he could teach and who he could turn into the foundations For building his kingdom, he doesn't surround himself with big, strong soldiers and zealots, but with men who he could teach how to live as children of God. Remember the words of Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the one that was going to build his church, he's the one who builds his church today. So how was Jesus going to do this? Let's read in Luke chapter 6, and we'll see what he did as he appoints these 12 Mean Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So what does Jesus do when he starts to build his kingdom on this earth? Well, before he elects those who he's going to build the church on, he goes over to prayer, prayer before his Father, verse 12. As the Son of God, he he shows us the importance of enduring prayer before making decisions, not just major decisions, but decisions. You'll see the phrase in your text, during those days, Jesus went up to the mountain, or as it's been literally translated, the hills. Now, people have written books and books and books on which days and which mountain. But that doesn't matter, you see. We know it's in the area of Capernaum. But Mr. the point. The next bit is the important bit. Jesus went to pray. The Son of God went to pray. He went at a time when he could slip away unnoticed, And he could go and pray for the whole night. And Luke always describes to us Jesus' prayer habits. Our text says Jesus spent the whole night there in prayer. I don't know how long you pray typically, but Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. The Son of God had to pray for the whole night before he took, before he made the decisions he did the next day. The Greek is a literal translation here is. He endured at a task. The task was prayer. He endured at a task before him. And that task was prayer. You see, Jesus had an immense weight of duty on him. These men that he would choose the next day would form the foundation of the church on earth until he came again. And they weren't super mean by any chance. He said they were quite a motley, run-of-the-mill bunch. You'd nearly say run through the mill bunch with some of them. And I, I, we, are, we aren't told what Jesus prayed, but I can imagine him saying to his father, Father, are you sure I must choose Judas? You know what he's going to do, Lord. He's going to betray me to my killers. But, Father, I acknowledge that you will show me your plan of salvation, even through Judas' actions, and so I will choose him, Father. You see, we're not told the specific content of his prayer, but we do know what he did the next day. He went and he chose 12 apostles. And so he spends his whole night with his father praying about it. And what did he want to do through this? He wanted to do his father's will. That was always Jesus' prayer. Lord, let it be your will. He wanted to ask God for God's blessing on these men as he put this responsibility On their shoulders. And so he spends all night in prayer. I think sometimes what I typically do, and I don't know if you're the same, probably not. We make decisions. We don't pray about it. And then afterwards, I better pray. And we ask God's blessing on what we've already decided. Is it just me? I see a few smiles. You see, what Jesus teaches us here is pray, then act and then ask for God's blessing. Don't just do, and then remember to pray, and then ask for God's blessing, because it might not be what God wants. There's a lesson for us, very simple lesson. Pray, do, pray. Alright? We can remember the cryptic. Pray, do, pray. Excellent. We'll move on. Look what Jesus did here. He, he chose 12 supermen. No? No? Well, my Bible says he chose 12 ordinary men. John MacArthur wrote a fantastic book, and if you want to borrow it, you can take it out from my little personal library. 12 ordinary men and how God blessed the world through them. Ordinary men they were. You see, it says, our text says, verse 13 to 16, that when daylight came, Jesus called his disciples to him, as he always did, and then surprisingly, from among his disciples, and the word used for disciples is the word masaitas, which is from his followers, he then chose and appointed twelve apostles. The word is apostolos, ones who are sent out and commissioned with very specific authority. So there is a difference there. Don't think they're the one, one is the same. You see, Luke emphasizes that Jesus specifically chose those twelve from among his disciples. They were all believers, they were all disciples, but Jesus chose twelve and then made them apostles. And this is the difference between a disciple and an apostle in those days. Jesus gave these apostles very specific authority over life itself, so that they could perform signs and wonders, and also over doctrine. God's word that would be written through them. We do not have that authority anymore today. We cannot set up doctrine anymore. That is closed now. God did that through his apostles. And so these apostles are very different to just pastors, as it is sometimes used today. You see, these men were given a very specific role in church history. Jesus chose these twelve, representing the twelve tribes of Israel, And they were representative of this new chosen nation, the people of God, that God would build up. And you can see that reference in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10. This new nation he would call the church. Jesus handpicked these twelve. And you know the encouraging thing for me is is that he knew them personally, as only their creator could. He had created every single one of those men. And yet he chose them. He knew them personally. He knew their faults, he knew their weaknesses long before he chose them. And yet he chose them. And look what he did with them. You see, this knowledge is a great encouragement for you and I as disciples or followers of Jesus Christ today as well. Look what, Jesus, what what was said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. This is what God says to Jeremiah and that same truth still applies to you and I today, every single one of us here. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And that's a very intimate, I knew every single bit of you. Before you were born, I have set you apart or sanctified you. You see, God knows us on such intimate terms that he knows us even before we are born. And God then determines that I want to use you for my glory. And then he puts that into practice. Now there's sermons inside there. I'm not going there now. Jesus did this. He chose these twelve. So he personally selected every single one of them, despite themselves. Secondly, we see about these twelve ordinary men that Jesus called the variety of men. They were quite a motley bunch, as I've said. No one really stood out with skills. I mean, Peter, when he started off his ministry, he wasn't this super preacher. And Jesus didn't say, I must choose Peter because he's a super preacher. People are going to listen to him. No, actually it was the opposite. Philip, he wasn't a super missionary. He went out later and he went all over the world. But when God chose him, he wasn't a super missionary. He was actually a very quiet man. Matthew, Levi, we've learnt about him recently. God didn't choose him for his honesty, did he? He was one of those men who collected your tax plus interest and if you didn't give the money, he'd have your legs broken. It was Matthew. Levi, as he was called. So, Jesus didn't choose them for who they were. You see, these were perfectly average and outstandingly ordinary men, says MacArthur. I love that. They were outstandingly ordinary. Are you outstandingly ordinary? I mean, grey is a good colour. See, Jesus didn't choose us homogenous club of perfect do-gooders, those must be my disciples. No, he didn't do that. These men were diverse and they were sinful, but they were willing to serve Jesus and to be used by him. Jesus Christ was the essential bond. He was the one they were disciples of, and so he chose them. That was the central bit, you see. 1 Corinthians 1.26, listen to these words, and we're going to be referring to this passage, so you might as well flick there now. 1 Corinthians 1.26, there's a reminder to believers, to you and I as well. This is what um, is written. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, and yet you were chosen. You see, Simon Peter, when the Lord chose him as Simon, he was a fairly short tempered bully in the China shop foot in the mouth type person, wasn't he? I really identify with him sometimes. He was one of those act before you think people. He was a fisherman. Nothing against that. But God chose him. What was Andrew? Andrew was he was one of those quiet in the background, living in the shadow of your big brother. He was one of those blue-collar worker. That was Andrew. Thomas. Thomas was a proved to me before I believe a doubter, and yet Jesus chose him. James and John. This is an amazing one. They were called. They had nicknames. Those are the Thunder Boys, the Sons of Thunder. They got short wits. They out their way. God chose them as apostles. Matthew, we've spoken about them. He was the, I'll take your tax and interest and watch your legs. Judas Iscariot, he was also chosen, even though Jesus knew what lay ahead for him. I cannot explain that. But look it up in John chapter 6 verse 64 and believe it. God knew what he was doing. And so Jesus chooses a variety of men. There's hope for us, you see. If you look around you, you see variety. I see plenty from up here. And Jesus changes the ordinary into extraordinary. Look what happens to Peter. Peter becomes the rock, the head of the earthly church and the, the early church, the man of faith, the martyr. That's what Peter becomes in God's hands. Andrew becomes the... The faith into action man. He's the one who points out the boy with the loaves and the fishes and then Jesus takes that and he multiplies it and feeds 5,000. Well, that's Andrew. He was still quiet but he turns into this faith into action man. Look what happens to James in Jesus' hands. He witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. Imagine what that was like. And he was there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. I wonder what that did to his faith to see a body risen up. He was the first apostle recorded to be martyred. Stephen was the first Christian. He was the first apostle to be martyred, was James. And then Fiery John, remember the Sons of Thunder? You'd never believe this one. Fiery John became the apostle of love. Who who later wrote the five New Testament books. And he was the one who testified in the book of Revelation, having seen the Son of Man. That was John, fiery John, now the apostle of love. And Judas, the brother of James, he had a few nicknames, by the way. He was called Jude, Labaius, and Thaddeus. I wonder why. Probably he was on the run. And he wrote the New Testament book of Jude in the end. You see what God did with these ordinary men? He transformed them. You see, get the principle behind that. The material is not, is not important. The availability is. They were available for God to use in His service. Turn with me to that passage, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. Let's just read through the rest of that now. Look at these men, and then think of your own life, and where you've come from. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, verse 27, to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the, and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. Here it is, so that no man may boast before God. Verse 30, But by His doing. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here it is again, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, if Jesus had chosen 12 strong, soldierly type zealots, and he had said, right, I want you to come with me. We're going to do some military training, and then I'm going to teach you the biblical theology you need to know, and then we're going to start the church. Guess what would have happened not long down the line? It would have got to their heads. Because that's how we are. I don't know about you. I know myself. That's how we are. Give us a little bit of power. Give us a little bit of influence. And it goes to our heads. It's the pride thing, you see. And that's why God has that truth in Scripture. He will use the weak things and make them strong. He will build His kingdom on those who are weak in Him. He is their strength. Are you your strength, or is Jesus your strength? These men were ordinary men, their personalities were different, and yet Jesus called them to be with Him, to learn from Him, and then they were appointed to go out to specifically represent Him. And this very act of appointing them, you see, if you haven't seen this yet, was an act of love by God for them. It was love, you see, that was willing to overlook their present stumblings. It was love that overlooked their just very nearing the future stumblings. I'm thinking of Peter denying the Lord. It was God's love that looked ahead to what He was going to do through them. Not the good people they were going to become. What He was going to do through them and He chose them for Him. You see, it was His wonderful and transforming grace that did it. That's why He chose His men. That's why he chooses you and I, if you're a believer here today, his love for you. Because he saw what he is going to do and can do through you, if you're willing to give yourself to him. And then there's a last principle here, when we look at how Jesus changed him from ordinary to extraordinary men. And that's to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is not built by might or by power. Is it? It's not built by strong men, talented people, great musicians. It is built by the spirit of the living God, says Zechariah. It is built by the spirit of the living God. And the same with the work of the church. The work of God is not done by might or by talent or by healthy bank balances or by well-connected people in the community or in the church, but by the spirit of the living God First, yes, He may use those well-connected people, but He will also use an ordinary person like you and me, because it is Him doing His work, not the other way around. He does His work through His Spirit in us. And that's almighty and all-powerful God working in us. And so I want to come this morning to apply this to you and I. That's all Scripture tells us in this section about those Apostles. But what about you and I? The so what question. How does that apply to us? Five principles and we're going to quickly go through them. The first one is this and I go back to prayer. Endure at the task. How is your prayer life as you sit here today? Reality check now. Is it the five minute special? How is your prayer life? And I'm not saying you need to pray for five, six, seven hours like the Puritans did once. If you can, fantastic, as long as it's fruitful and not just mumbling around. But is your prayer life a living experience with God? Are you speaking to your Father? And do you close your mouth as part of your prayer and allow God to speak to you through His Spirit? How is your prayer life as you sit here today? Not as you want it to be, how is your prayer life today? You see, prayer is not just a part of our responsibility in Christian service. It's the first part of everything we do. And we forget that too quickly, you see. We need to stop and pray for discernment. We need to stop and pray for direction in life. Every day if we need to. We need to stop and ask God to give us the dynamic power that only His Spirit can use us for. It has to come from Him. You see, it's so tempting in our instant action age, to just dash into making decisions and to just do things enthusiastically and then to pray for God's blessing, as I've already said. But the opposite is true. We have to seek God's face first before we act. You see, Jesus had to. The Son of God had to do that as well. Are you one who endures at the task of prayer? Secondly, This passage, I think, teaches us that we must come before God with nothing. Come to God with nothing. You see, I'll ask you again this morning. Are you just an ordinary person called by God? Or do you come to God with special talents? And you sit there in front of that negotiation table and you say, Right, Lord, I'm a good speaker. I'm very talented, Lord. I'm the best looking person. Girl, not me. Girl, that there is, Lord. You can use me. But use me, Lord. You come to the Lord with nothing on the negotiation table. Because if you put something on that table, you cannot be born again. It's all or nothing with Jesus Christ, you see. All of Him. Nothing of you. And then He changes that into all or nothing in your life. It's all for Jesus Christ. Nothing of anything else. You see the change? And so come with nothing. Don't come pridefully before the Lord. Full of pride. Come with nothing. You see, how does Jesus view your abilities or lack of abilities? He sees it as filthy rags before him, unless you're born again. Then he changes them to his glory. So, come in dependency on Him and His Spirit. The material is not important. The availability is. Come to Him. Thirdly, here's the encouragement I want to put before you this morning. You are chosen. Look around you. When you look at the people around you, they are chosen ones, if they are believers here. You are a chosen one in Christ. Jesus specifically chose you to be His and to serve Him. He didn't just choose a batch of people and say, Oh, I'll take this mob here like we do cattle. He said, I want Him. I want her. I will take Him. I will save that one. I want them. Specifically chosen by Jesus Christ. And He's given you a specific purpose to serve Him. You need to find out what that is in Him. You need to come before him in prayer. You need to come before him as you take in the word and ask him, Lord, as I read this word, how would you allow me to use this in your service? He must direct you, see. I take such great encouragement in this fact that Jesus has comp- complete knowledge of me. He knows my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. He knows when I have faith. He knows when I doubt him. And yet, he chooses to use me. Is that a source of concern for you? Or a source of comfort? That will tell you where your soul's at. Are you concerned about Jesus knowing everything about you? Or is it a comfort to you to know that He knows everything about you? His Spirit takes you as you are and He perfects you in Him. You are loved by Him and His grace, you see. And then, fourthly, And for this one you really need to look around. You are different. Now I don't need to tell you that you're different. You just are different, all right? Some more different than others. You see this new community called the church. Jesus takes us different people. And he puts all us different people together. And some of us have got more edges than others. Some of us are quite smooth. and our edges start knocking at each other. And we start getting bruises. But He wants that for us. Because He is changing us into a body which will glorify Him. And so when you get a few knocks from your fellow, fellow different people, see that is God at work in you. See that is God at work in them. And take it. And don't rush off and say, I'll go to a place where it's smooth. Where no one knocks me. Because I tell you, you will not find that church. God has deliberately chosen us as different people to come together so that He can shape us into those beings He wants us to be. You see, if we were perfect already, what would He have to do? And so He takes us, this new community called the church, with all our differences, with all our weaknesses, with all our grumblings and groanings and hurting each other, He takes us and He shapes us into a community which glorifies His name so that the world can see us, not always, but so that the world can see us and say, God must be at work in these people because it's a miracle. Look at them. And yet God is using them in His world. You see, God changes that differentness, the weakness in us, and He uses it as a strength. I saw that in Ethiopia. You see, my friend Don Faranji, he was the guy who fixed the land cruiser. I couldn't help him. I stayed. Show me which side was spinning and I'll show you the other side. But you know what? I had to be the crash test dummy. Because that I could do well and he didn't want to do that again. And so God used each one's strength and weakness and we could do something for the Lord there together. That's just a weak example. But you see, God uses you too. You are specifically in this church because you have a strength and many weaknesses to bring to this congregation so that you can get used and they can get shaped by you. And you can get shaped by them. And so don't stop attending this body. Be with God's people even when they bump you around. Be with God's people. He loves you. And He will shape all of us. And you know what? You're going to be as surprised as them when one day you're going to arrive in heaven and they're going to be there with you. And they're going to be surprised to see you there. And you know, we're going to be perfect in Him then. And when we look around, we'll wonder, how did you do that, Lord? But He did. So be with us. Get knocked around for God's glory. And He will work through us. You are different. Just accept it and give it to the Lord. And then the lastly, this is the question I want to really appeal to you this morning. Are you available for Jesus Christ? Yes, Jesus Christ might have saved you once in your past, but are you still available to Jesus Christ every single day in your life? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for giving me another day. How will you use me today? And then you go off to work or to school or to uni or wherever you go. But put that to the Lord first. How will you use me today, Lord? You see, if you are not available to Him, even though He has saved you, how is He going to use you? He's first got to put you through the school of learning. it. Be available to the Lord. Be available to get used by Jesus Christ. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Don't hold on to the world. It's all or nothing with Jesus Christ. And he calls you to himself, "No strings attached, and that means strings from your side. no exclusion clauses from your side, all or nothing. Are you available for his use? We're going to see what God does with his 12 men. And they're going to stumble around because they had clay of feet, feet of clay, sorry. They had feet of clay. They were going to stumble around, but God would use them despite them, because He was working through them. And God can use you despite yourself, because He is the one who is the light in you, if you allow Him to use you. Let's pray together. Lord our God, it's obvious that you didn't call these twelve apostles, based on their education. You didn't call these twelve apostles, Lord, based on their pedigree or their experience. And that encourages us this morning. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our hearts to believe that you might call us too to accomplish far more than we ever thought we were capable of. And Lord, we know that it's not for our glory, but that the borders of your kingdom might be expanded. Not just here in Wanganui, Lord, But right across the world, as you take us where you want to use us, as you use us to reach others for you. Lord, may we be available to you, and may we then stand back in awe and amazement as we see you at work despite us. Work in us, we pray. May this church be a true light in this community. May we be a light that reaches out to our neighbours, to our colleagues our fellow students, so that you are glorified and your kingdom is expanded. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.